God is so good. Well, I don't, you know, at times I wonder how, how do people live in a world that we live in at this time with everything going on the way it is and not have somebody bigger than themselves to trust? You know, that's, that's, that's a tough thing. If you're trusting in you or in stuff that we're seeing uh, come apart and fail us, but the great thing is God has never failed, God will never fail, and he's not going to start with you, so you can trust him and know that he's going to work all things out for good as we love him and are called according to his purpose, amen? You know, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said to them, uh, he, he started to share a story with them that explained that they needed to pray and not faint or not quit. And I'm not going to share the story with you today, but I just thought it was really interesting and important to us that Jesus said that. Pray and don't quit. He didn't say don't quit and pray. He said pray and don't quit. Because praying helps us refocus, reconnect with God who is the one who causes us to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror. And we've been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that probably everybody in here can say from, from memory, and that's, that's great, but if all we're doing is mouthing words, then it's what Jesus warned the disciples of before he taught them this prayer. He said, don't, don't pray vain repetition, and it's not because of all your words. And so the only reason why it's vain repetition is we don't understand what we're saying. And there's such insight into the Lord's Prayer uh, that we've been going through it and, and dissecting it and studying it and, and learning how important this is. And uh, it helps us understand the kingdom of God because prayer is the communication in the kingdom. The first line of communication is prayer. You know, when whatever is going on, don't just do something, pray. Okay? But the key is don't pray the problem. Sometimes I hear Christians pray, and it's no different than I used to pray, and I try not to pray, but it's real, it's real tough sometimes not to pray the problem, as if God didn't know, right? We're giving them some unknown information. Is there anything God doesn't know? No. So we don't need to remind him of the problem because that just reinforces the problem in us. We've got to go to him with his word. He watches over his word to perform it. This is the promise. We pray the promise, not the problem. Because in praying the promise, we reinforce what God said he would do, who God said he is, and we begin to have that hope, that confident expectation of good because God is the God of all hope. And we've shifted our focus from what the situation is to the one who can make it different. With God, what's possible? Okay, that's the right answer. But the next time we start to stress out about something, we need to remind ourselves in that moment, hold it, hold it, hold it. I don't need to stress. I don't need to fuss about this. I don't need to have a meltdown. Because with God, all things are possible. And then on top of that, remind ourselves, and God said he would work all things out for good. So what am I worried about? Because if the enemy can get us into worry, he'll get us into doubt. 
If he gets us into doubt, he'll get us, get us into unbelief. And we'll begin to be double-minded. And the Bible says a double-minded man will not receive anything from God. It's not because God doesn't want to give it. If somebody came to you and, and needed something, was in desperate need of something, and said, I really need, and turned around and walked away. Would, would that be a challenging moment for you to say, well, I thought you said you needed something. Why are you turning around and leaving me? I'd give it to you. I've got it. I'm right here. I've got it. And that's what we do with God when we get into these areas where we start to just get overwhelmed by what's going on. And it's not, please understand, it's not that it's not overwhelming. It is to us, but it's not to your heavenly father. And that's how Jesus started out the prayer, our Father. Our Father, the one who has our best interests at heart. And he's got a vantage point from heaven. He's in a perfect place knowing exactly what's going to happen and how good it can be if we choose him. And hallowing, honoring his name that his kingdom come and his will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. If, if what was going on in heaven happened here today, what would it be like? It'd be heaven, right? It would be unimaginable to us. Everybody would like each other. Everybody would think the best of each other. Everybody would look out for everybody else's need. Hey, can I help you? Can I serve you? What can I get for you? What can I do for you? You know, somebody said that, that heaven and hell, it kind of looked just the same. It was a, a table, a long table. Everybody was there. And everybody had six-foot-long forks and spoons attached to their hands. And there was this bounty of food. And, and it was heaven to those who took their spoons and their forks and got the food and fed somebody else. But the ones that tried to use it for themselves couldn't get it to their mouths. See, when we think about ourselves, it's a very, very lonely existence. Because hardly ever does anybody do everything we want them to do or we think they should do. Is that correct? But when we're considering other people and looking out for their interests, like the Bible says, preferring them before ourselves, this is the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day the essentials for us to live. God is going to give you what you need to live, but don't keep walking away, going after something else to try and find your needs to be met. And then we got to verse 12 in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. We've been in this for a couple of weeks now. And the reason why is this is one of the biggest weapons the enemy uses against us Christians. He gets us into that place of unforgiveness. And then bitterness. We get offended and we get bitter and we hold on to this, this poison in ourselves thinking that, you know, uh, this person, I can't just let it go. Yes, you can but you have to choose to. 
And so we've been learning about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. What? As we forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive. So what comes first? Us forgiving or us being forgiven? Us forgiving. Forgive us our debts as we. So the as we is really first. We need to forgive others and then we receive our forgiveness. Because the lack of forgiveness in our lives towards other people is what we're sowing. And if we sow unforgiveness, we can't reap forgiveness. I know we don't like it. I know we would like it to work a different way. But this is what God's word says. And so we need to be wise enough to say, hey, this isn't the way I want it to work. This is what I like. But Father, I'm not in control here. You are. And so I want your will to be done, not mine. And so we've been learning about forgiving others, how important it is, and how Jesus taught to forgive others. Last week, we looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and how they caught a woman in the act of adultery which most scholars believe was a setup. Just like the enemy sets us up all the time, but we have to choose what we're going to do. And caught her and brought her into a place where Jesus was teaching and threw her on the ground in front of these people that had no expectation of this happening and then began to take over the meeting. What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? Moses' law says, stoner. What are you going to do? And you know, God is so wise. And Jesus didn't react. He didn't plead his case. He didn't do anything except stoop down on the ground and write on the ground with his finger in the dust. And they kept hounding him. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then he made a statement. You who are without sin among us, cast the first stone at her. It probably caused everybody to be quiet for a second. And then he knelt down again and wrote in the ground something else. We don't know what they wrote, but it caused them all to be convicted in their hearts. That's what the scripture says. And they all left. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. Except there was a whole group of people around them that were still listening and heard what had happened and probably judged her too. And he said, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. So he did address sin and said, don't do it anymore. But go your way. There's a future ahead of you that you can have without what you've been. Now, today we're going to look at another situation with another Pharisee. Pharisees are well known to be very <clears throat> well versed in in the law, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. As a matter of fact, they wrote a lot of laws that kind of were hedge laws to keep you from getting to the real laws so that you wouldn't get in a bad place. And they also went around portraying themselves as perfect. Now, there are still Christians today that do that. And any of us that have ever been tempted to portray ourselves as perfect, don't step in that sin. Because first of all, none of us are perfect. We're all being perfected. God is working in all of us to the degree we're letting him. And if you ever thought you were perfect, 
the next time you do something that's not, you're either going to have to ignore it, deny it, or wrestle with it. And so it's just better to realize we're not perfect, but it doesn't give us a, a right to be able to just do whatever we want. We want to be continuing to be perfected. It's, it's that sanctification process. But Pharisees were known for judging people and looking down on people and, and, and seeing where they didn't meet the mark. And right here in Luke chapter 7, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, this was something that happened at times because there would be a, a teacher that was in town teaching at the synagogue, and one of the Pharisees would invite them to come to the house and have a, a big meal, kind of a, a party, a dinner party, and invite other people, and they would have access to this teacher. Now, we don't know if that's what was happening here or not initially, because it could have been just that. But we also know the Pharisees were trying to find things to be able to accuse Jesus to the church and to the, the Roman people, Roman soldiers and government. And so in this moment, Jesus goes, and he goes to this house, and it says, verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of oil and stood at his feet. Behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kiss his feet and anoint them with fragrant oil. Now, this is a little misleading because it said he sat at a table. And the way they sat at these dinner parties was the table was in the middle. People would recline. They'd lay on their left side, on their left elbow, with their head towards the table to be able to reach the food. And their feet were away from the table and all the guests. And the reason why? <laughs> they were walking through the streets that were pretty nasty. But one of the things that should have happened is there's, there's common courtesy that was given in those times. And we're going to see what it was. But we see this woman shows up at this dinner party. Was she invited? No, no, she wasn't invited. But Jesus was there among others. And, and you can look at it in verse 49. It talks about the others that sat at the table. And they were probably there to hear about Jesus or to substantiate if Jesus did something wrong. And yet when they ate, they usually ate out in the courtyard that had a low, low uh, wall around it that kind of delineated where the house property was. And if people heard that there was a dinner party going on, they would go out because they didn't have movies. Do you believe that? They couldn't live stream stuff. And, and so they go out. This is their entertainment. There's a party going on, and word goes through the city, and people start to show up to stand just beyond that little knee-high wall. And they're watching what they're eating. Ooh, that looks good. I wonder what that is. Maybe we can get the recipe. They're seeing who shows up, and they're also listening to the conversations. 
And this woman hears that Jesus is going to be at the Pharisee's house, and she shows up. And she is prepared. She comes bearing this alabaster box with fragrant oil in it. And while things are going on, she steps over the wall, walks up to Jesus. And so she's standing behind him because he's laying down. She's standing behind his feet. He doesn't even necessarily see her. And she starts to weep. And, and when it talks about the fact that, that she went and she stood behind him weeping, it was about a waterfall of tears. Have you ever seen anybody cry so hard that it just ran down their face? It just ran all over everything. And maybe that happened to you. And obviously, it's a very emotional thing. And it was. It was deep in her. And she wept and wet his feet with her tears and then knelt down and dried them with her hair and then poured fragrant oil over his feet. Now this is going on and we've got the Pharisee, we've got Jesus, we've got this woman, we've got the rest of the people at the dinner party and we've got the people outside the wall. And now we need to see how this unfolds. And in verse 39, it says this. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, what are the next words? Okay, so he spoke to himself, right? That's really important. Because he's not saying this out loud to everybody. He's just making an observation. You know how we do. We just make observations. This is just my perception. So he spoke to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, at this moment, this Pharisee is doing what Many Pharisees did. They looked down on people. They made judgment calls. How many of you know you never know everything about somebody you're looking at? And how many of you are glad anybody looking at you doesn't know everything about you? Right? But this Pharisee is looking down. The problem with looking down on anyone or anything, you can't see what's above you. And at this moment, he is as high as he can see. And he's looking from the height down on. Down on the woman, correct? Who else is he looking down on? He's looking down on Jesus. And, and he's saying, if this man were a prophet, was Jesus a prophet? Yes. Yeah, he... he he walked in every one of the, the ministry gifts. He was a prophet, too. And so in this moment, he looks down on Jesus, and he's thinking and saying to himself, if this guy knew, if he was a prophet, he'd know who this woman is. And he wouldn't let her touch him because he'd know that would make him unclean. And so this, this goes on. He's looking down on the woman because he knows she has a, a reputation in town. 
Everyone here has a reputation. And it's not always what we want it to be or think it is. It's what anybody chooses to remember about us. And if today we found out people were taking our past and holding it against us today, would we have a problem with that? I would hope we would because I would hope that every one of us has, has had some adjustment. We've changed. We're not who we used to be. You know, I did a lot of my growing up in Rome. I went to Turn Road School. I went to Strau for a little while. People knew me for what I was until I left and had no idea of what I was from there on. And when Debbie and I and the two boys moved back to Rome, I decided that, you know, I wanted and needed a little exercise, so I played in the men's hockey league, one of the most holy sports you can play. <laughs> and the first, first session I went to, I got into the locker room and that, all, that kind of says it all. You get into the locker room, there's conversation going on, and I'm just like, I'm just going to look at my skates. And somebody said, my head was down, I didn't know who it was. I just wanted to get my stuff on and get out on the ice. And somebody said, is, is that you, Jeff? Who are you talking to? Is that you, Jeff Heck? You back in town? Mm-hmm. Back. What are you doing? You know, you, I find that I make people very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, period. <laughs> Thank you very much. when they find out that I'm a pastor. And, and, you know, I'm not the one that is over anyone. I'm just fulfilling what God has for me to fulfill on behalf of him. And I said, yep, I'm back in town, and, and uh, I don't really have a job that I'm getting paid for right now, but I am... I am a pastor. <laughs> now I'm the only one looking up and everybody else is looking at their skates. <laughs> Seriously. And it stayed that way until I left. And I, I, the door swung closed and, you know, over there, the doors just swing closed with a thud. <clears throat> and then I hear this din of conversation going on and I just bolted to the ice because people are uncomfortable because I think oh you, you're a pastor you're going to judge me I'm not holy like you are holy you know what I'm working on it just like you are and I'm not looking down on anybody because I've got a project I've got the biggest project I know that I need to take care of and it's me. I, I can't. I can't look and find fault with you because 
I've got enough right here I have to take care of. And you may say, I didn't know that. I don't know if I want to come to this church. <laughs> it doesn't matter what church you go to. Whoever is in front of you is a work in progress. And so at this point, Jesus knows what this man has said, knows he's judging this woman from her past. Because she has a past. I have a past. You have a past. We have a past. But our past isn't supposed to be our future, especially as a Christian. The Bible tells us letting go of those things that are behind this is what Paul said, that he pressed for the goal of the prize of the high call of God in Christ. God has a high call for every one of us. There's no one that's exempt here. God has a calling for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a life for you that is good with a future and a hope. And if you're not experiencing that to this point, know that you just have to keep tracking with God. He'll bring you into it and he'll bring you through whatever you're in right now. But you got to trust him. And so Jesus knows that he's judging the woman. He's also judging him. And look what he says. And Jesus answered. Where did this man say this? To himself. And Jesus is answering him. And says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so the Pharisee says, teacher, say it. You asked for it. And Jesus quickly sets the stage to be able to help this man, help this woman, help all the guests that are at dinner and all the people that are watching. Because that's what God does. God wants everyone to be helped. But it requires an adjustment on everybody's part except God's. Because what God has is the best. And we have to let go of what we're holding on to to be able to embrace what God has for us. You can't have it both. You can't hold on to what you want and what he wants if they're different. And many times they're very different. And so at this point, he tells a quick parable he said there was a certain creditor who had debtors. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii. Denarii was a day's wage. So 500 days wage. How long is that? Two and a half years, right? Almost two, sorry. Almost two. My math, the new math messes me up. Almost two years. So this guy owes him almost two years wage. I don't know about you, but if I had to pay two years worth of wages for a debt I owed, I'm not sure I could ever pull out of that. It would seem insurmountable. And then it says, and the other 50. So we've got one that has an insurmountable and one that's got a doable one. And it says, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Freely forgave them both. Then Jesus says, tell me, Simon, which of them will love him more? 
Now, look at, look at Simon's response. He says, I suppose. I'm not sure, but I will give it a go. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Now, that, that, that's not something that we would question, we would wonder, we would argue with. If two people had owed someone something and one owed a massive debt and the other one a little bit and they were both forgiven, we know the person that had been owing this massive debt would be so grateful that they were, they were released from it. Now, what do you think the person with the little debt might have thought? It's not fair. Right? Isn't that what we yell all the time? Oh, no, we don't. We say it within ourselves. It's not fair. There's not a scripture that says God is fair. It says he's just. He'll give the best to each one of us, and it may not be what the other one gets. <laughs> I am, but it's not going too far. <laughs> So the one who was forgiven this massive debt loves him so much more. But shouldn't the one that was forgiven a little debt love him too? Yeah, it was a different amount, but it was still forgiveness. Then in verse 44, it goes on to say this. Then he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon. This is one of the most interesting things I, I, I've read recently in the Bible. Again, you're there. He's addressing Simon. He's telling him this parable. Simon has judged Jesus. He's judged the woman. And he's not judged the only person he has the right to judge, which is who? Himself. We don't have the right to judge other people. We can be fruit inspectors. The Bible says you'll know them by the fruit, but you can't judge them and condemn them. The moment you and I judge people and condemn them, we're taking the place of God. And guess who else tried to take the place of God? The accuser of the brethren, which we tend to be when we judge other people. And so this Pharisee is judging Jesus, bad move. Judging this woman, probably what everybody else did. Not judging himself, big mistake. Because Jesus is beginning to expose him. Open his eyes. Not to see who Jesus is, not to see who this woman is, to see who he is first. Because until you deal with you, you can't deal with anybody else. Because the problem with us trying to take care of somebody else and their sin is the fact that we're going to be self-righteous many times. We're going to be a lot rougher on them than we should be. We want people to be what with us? Merciful and gracious, right? What you sow is what you reap. But many times we're very hard line with other people. Well, you just need to do it. This is what you need to do. 
And yet we don't realize how challenging it is for that person to maybe make those adjustments and embrace the things that they now need to do and stop doing the things that they have done. And we become very impatient with them. Very hard line. And if that was ever done to us, we'd be like, you know what? You're no help. Get out of my face. If you really cared about me, you'd, you'd be patient. You'd be kind. You'd be loving. Doesn't mean you don't tell the truth, but you do it in love. And so in this moment, Jesus is helping the, the Pharisee find out who he is. He's also helping people recognize who she is and who he, Jesus, is. And so he turns away from talking to Simon, turns his back to Simon, which is not an appropriate thing to do to somebody you're talking to, is it? But I'm sure it got Simon's attention. He turns away from Simon, and he turns to the woman, and he says these five words that are amazing. Do you see this woman? What a dumb question. I judged her. That's why I saw her. I judged her. I know who she is. When, when God asks you a question, please, please understand, he's not trying to find out some information. In your quiet time, if questions start to bubble up and, and you recognize Holy Spirit is, is trying to get you to learn something, God asks questions for us to learn. Do you see this woman? Of course I see this woman. Do you? Now he goes on to say, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. That was common courtesy when you would go to somebody's house, especially for a dinner party, that they would give you water to either wash your feet or they had the lowest servant in the house with a bowl of water washing and drying your feet because you had just walked through all sorts of filth in the street. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Now, one of the things in that society, women were not allowed to unbind or let down their hair in public. It was only for their husbands. But this woman, who everybody in the city knew as a sinner, who was probably a prostitute, is the one that's now ministering to Jesus. And she's come, and she's got an alabaster box full of fragrant oil, costly, expensive. So she's come prepared to do something. And she's not going to be denied. So she steps over the wall. She goes behind Jesus as he's laying there. He doesn't even know. And she starts to cry and weep and just wet his feet. And she bends down. And she dries Jesus' feet with her hair. I'm telling you, the judgment that's going on right now in that crowd is at a new high. Judgment of her judgment of Jesus. 
And then he says to Simon, gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And there, there are all these other people that are sitting around the table that those very things, those three things, washing their feet, giving them oil for their head, and giving them a kiss when they came in. They all experienced that, but Jesus didn't. It shows this massive double standard. And now we're getting a picture. Maybe the Pharisee had Jesus come because he's trying to entrap him. It's not because he wants to hear from him. So it's a very adversarial environment. And Jesus is not pushing back to try and protect himself. He's trying to help everyone see truth. Because you'll know the truth, and what will the truth do? Set you free. And so this, this, this Pharisee has seen this woman in light of her past, her reputation, and her problems. Jesus is not. Jesus has seen her As a woman who is now repentant, is weeping, is willing to generously bless him, minister to him, not caring, and we could take a lot from this, not caring what anybody else around thought. Many times what hinders us from ministering to the Lord and for the Lord is our great concern about what everybody around us thinks. And none of us, none of us can control what anybody else thinks. Just like in the locker room, everybody thought I was just one of the guys because I grew up with them. And, and when I was a little kid, we went to, to a store and everybody said, well, let's, let's shoplift. And so one went in and came back and showed us what they had taken without paying. Another went in and came back and showed us what they had taken without paying. I went in and came back and I showed them and I said, look what I took without paying. Because I wanted to fit in. And they said to me, we saw you in line and pay for that. But I wanted to fit in. But I did not want to deny what my father and mother had taught me. And so I tried to live in two worlds at the same time. And you can't. You can't live the way of the world and be the Christian God has for you to be. And you can't live as a Christian the way God wants you to be and do the things that are being done in the world. It's time to make a break. It's time to stick your feet in and say, I'm all in, God. Because the only one that sees you and knows you truly is God. And he's not looking at your past. There are going to be a lot of Pharisees that we will come across in our lives, some in the church, some in the world. 
And they're going to judge us. They're going to judge us by our past. They're going to judge us by what they've heard about us, our reputation, and the problems that maybe we've created or been associated with. And yet, God never does that. Jesus saw and focused on her present. What was she doing? She was ministering to him. She was appreciating what he was there to do, not at that table, but in life. Jesus was looking at her restoration, and he was looking at her potential. I want you to know when we look down on people, we're not seeing their potential. We're not seeing who they really are. We're not seeing them the way God sees them. And when people look down on us, they're not seeing who God sees. They're not seeing our potential. They're not seeing the plans that God has for us. They are not seeing our restoration. And it's tough. It's tough to live in a world that way, but that's the world we live in. We live in a world full of Pharisees. And we should be representing Jesus in the world around us, in the church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work and commerce where we go to do business. Because there is more than enough Pharisees and there's not enough people viewing people and forgiving people and giving people a break. You know, we're so quick to react to what people are doing that we don't like or we don't agree with. And that is not anything we as Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to love unconditionally just like we've been loved. He says, do you see this woman? Do you, Simon, see? Now, this word see is a very important word. Do you see this woman? Do you discern, perceive, regard, behold, recognize? And you know that word recognize is a compound word? Recognize. Does anybody know what cognize means? To cognize, to have cognition, thinking, rethink, recognize, rethink. This is the woman that you've heard everything about, but do you see her as she is? This woman right here, not her past, not her reputation, not her problems, not her failures, not her flaws. Do you see this woman? She is repentant. She's weeping. She is caring. She is generous. Do you see this woman? Or do you just see who she was? Do you just see what she's done? Because none of us, none of us can stand in the light of that, who we've been and what we've done. That's why the cancel culture 
was so crazy. Because even the cancel culture couldn't stand up to their own scrutiny. Because we all have failures in our past. And how many times does God forgive? Yeah. Yeah, it's unending. As long as we keep coming. If we fall down, we can get up and go to God, not away from God. Just like when Jesus told Peter, how many times do I forgive? Seven? Seventy times seven per issue per day. Which is we never not forgive. Never not forgive. Really bad English. Really good theology. Then we get to verse 47. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you, her sins. Did Jesus just whitewash her sins? No, he said she's sinned. And then he says, and they are many. Have been forgiven. Now, in this translation, it doesn't have a word that begins this verse. In the original text, there's a word that, that denotes therefore or hence it's, it's a connection to point us back to something that occurred before. And it wasn't just what he was speaking about. It was an issue. When it says, have been forgiven, the word forgiven is a word that indicates something that happened prior. It's a done thing. And many scholars believe that what had happened was Jesus had met this woman somewhere in the city, had interacted with her, she had repented, he had forgiven her sins, she was now a new creation, right? Isn't that, when, when our sins are forgiven, I know Christ hasn't died yet, but he was going to, but when we become a Christian, we become a new creation in Christ, the Bible says, old things what? Oh, thank God for that. Old things have passed away. That means anybody bringing up your past is not seeing who you currently are. And so they're just dealing with something you don't have to worry about because Jesus took care of it. But the enemy always reminds us of our past. Because he accuses us of something we have no ability to change, but God can. He can work it for good. And he promised he would as we love him and are called according to his purposes. But he says, I tell you, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. And, and Simon can't deny what he's just said. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Who is he pointing at? Simon. Simon didn't need to see, see the need to be forgiven. You know, this guy and this woman, they're a mess. But hey, I'm all right. Do you know that sin isn't comparative? God doesn't compare my sins to your sins or your sins to anybody else's sins or my sins to anybody else's sins. How does, how does sin pay off? What's the result of sin? No matter what it is, 
No matter what sin it is, it brings death to our lives. And so God sees sin as sin. And he doesn't say, well, you know what, that Jeff, he's a worse sinner than most of those people in that church. No, he sees me as me, not in comparison to anybody else. And he, he looks to help me make progress from where I am to where he has for me to be. That I can't get any other way than with him and through him and by him. Just like all the rest of us. If we're making progress, it's not because we're so sharp. We're so smart. We're so good. Where did you get your smarts? Well, my parents. Where did they get their smarts? We go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we find out God gave it. We can't take credit for it. And so we need, we need to recognize the one who is at work in us to willing to do his good pleasure that is working things out for good, causing us to move more and more fully into the abundant life that he provided and promised through Jesus. And Simon's realizing, man, you know what? He's talking about me. And you can read the rest of this. We're not going to go into it, but people start to take issue because they're seeing Jesus say, well, her sins have been forgiven. And they say, well, who, who is he to forgive sins? They don't know who they're looking at. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And yet Jesus isn't against anybody. He's for everybody. He's for Simon. He wants Simon to get a real look at himself so that he can turn to just like this woman, and receive the forgiveness of her sins so that he recognizes, man, I've been forgiven so much, and I'm going to love much. You know who the most merciful people usually are? The people who have been forgiven so much, who have been shown so much mercy. Now, it's not always that way, but it's the way it should be. And just like he says... You know, the one who's forgiven so much should love much. And this woman did. And we, we have been forgiven. A little bit. Medium size. Overflowing cup. A lot. If you don't realize it, realize that we don't deserve anything. Not one of us merits heaven. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve a healing. We don't deserve peace. That's right, I didn't come to be depressed. I, I'm getting to the good part. We don't deserve any of this, and yet God isn't working on what we deserve. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Some of you are like, well, I don't deserve anything bad. Oh, don't go there. God is merciful, to a, showing mercy to a thousand generations. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. All of us have sinned, Romans said, and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. And because none of us are perfect, every one of us will sin. And we will need that mercy, and we will need that forgiveness, and we will need that grace. 
But the only way for us to be able to receive it is recognize our need. Why, why was the Pharisee not loving Jesus? Because he didn't think he needed anything from him. And there are a lot of people that don't think they need anything from Jesus. But one day everybody's going to find out there's only one. One name by which men and women can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. There's only one that paid the price for them to come back into fellowship with the Father, and his name is Jesus. The Father treated him as if he had sinned all of our sins forever. And yet he was innocent. Jesus' heavenly Father put all the punishment of all of our sin on an innocent man so that he could turn the table and then put all the blessing of a guilty person, all the blessing of an innocent person on a guilty person. You and I receive all the blessings of God because of what Jesus did. God treats us like his son because he treated his son like he should have treated us. And that's an amazing thing. And so, he who is forgiven much loves much. But what does that love look like? Well, I love you, brother. But in our, our minds, we're thinking to ourselves, what a low life. What a train wreck. What a goof off. In Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, hatred stirs up strife. That's why we're seeing all the, the strife we see in the world we live in. There's just hatred upon hatred upon hatred. But then it says, but love covers all sin. Love covers all sin. Now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. The Bible says he who covers his sin will not prosper. So it's not us covering up our sin. This talks about something that God's done. When, when before Jesus came under the old covenant, they had to offer up one time a year, the nation of Israel would have to offer up a sacrifice of a spotless, blemishless lamb that the high priest would, would sacrifice and then take the blood into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and he had to prepare it. Where he would walk in and the Ark of the Covenant was there and there were two golden angels fashioned with their wings outspread towards each other. And then in the middle of that was called the mercy seat. And the high priest would go in with this blood to offer as a sacrifice for the sins of Israel for the year. And they never knew if it was going to be accepted. They tied a rope around his ankle. Because if anybody went in after that, they'd fall dead. And on the hem of his garment, they had little golden pomegranates and bells. So they knew he was still alive because they could hear the bells tinkling. And he would offer that sacrifice and then come back out in one more year, their sins were covered over. But they had to do it again. And when that time came around, it was the Day of Atonement. When that time came around, they got really concerned and they got really serious about their relationship with God. But then they go off and live the way they wanted to live. 
And Jesus came to make a sacrifice once and for all. And if God's forgiven somebody, who are we not to forgive them? No, 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 no. If God's forgiven somebody, who do we make ourselves out to be if we don't forgive them? God's here. He forgives them. We say no, and we go over his head. Now we're playing God, which is not a good place for any of us to be. Because there's only one. One true holy God. Hatred stirs up strife. Sin covers all sin. Or love covers all sin. So when you love, you start to cover sin, but you don't hide it. In 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, it says this. And we've looked at this before, but it's so important that we look at it now. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You know, we're near the end. The return of the Lord is coming. Jesus is coming back for the church. The church is going to be out of here. And you may say, well, I've heard that for years. Yep, and we're closer than ever before. And so he's saying the end is at hand. Be serious and watchful. Be serious and watchful in what? Prayer. That's why we're learning about prayer, because it's an important part of the kingdom. Then it says, and above all things. So this is a next level situation. Above all things. There's nothing above this. Above all things. Have fervent love for one another. Man, we need to be loving each other. And, and when you want to know what the characteristics of love are, and we're not going to go through them today and we're not going to show them, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8 tells us how love behaves itself. And then in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, tells us the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit of love. And, and this is what our lives should be revealing no matter what's going on. Not only just in the midst of what's going on, but towards everybody that we're doing life with. It goes on to say, have fervent love for one another. For love, what? Will cover a multitude of sin. This, this word, cover, it's, it, it means to envelop, to enrobe. It means to surround or to coat. And I taught this quite a while ago, but it's like what an oyster or a clam does. When it gets something that irritates it or injures it, an irritation or an injury, just like us, when there's an irritation or an injury. But what the clam does or the oyster does is it begins to surround, enrobe, envelop, coat that irritation or injury with something that it chooses to give. And it keeps coating it. So the injury and the irritation are no longer what they used to be. As a matter of fact, we know what happens when an oyster or clam does this. What does it produce? A pearl. The only precious stone that is not found in the earth, it's made by an animal. And not even a smart one. Do you know how big the biggest pearl ever found was 
It was found 10 years ago, but just was revealed a couple of years ago by a Filipino fisherwoman in a giant clam. You've seen those giant clams? It was 74 pounds. It was two and a half feet long. That clam had to be working on that for a long time. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to envelop these things that people do to us and forgive them and love them. Love covers. It doesn't lash out. It doesn't demand retribution. It doesn't demand an apology. Some people are waiting to forgive until they hear an apology. You may never hear the apology, and you're going to be stuck in that trap of unforgiveness. And that's why forgive us as we forgive. We need to be proactive. Why and how can we be proactive in forgiving someone else? Because we look at what we've been forgiven. When we recognize we have been forgiven so much, then we're going to love much. We're going to love God and do what his word says. And we're going to choose to love others, even our enemies, no matter what they have or do to us. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. While your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, I just want to read one last scripture in 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9 in the Passion Translation. It says, if we boast that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins, when his, God's light, covers them, he will faith, be faithful to forgive us every time. Heavenly Father, you forgive us every time. But Father, your word says we're to come to you and confess our sin. We have to acknowledge we've done wrong. Because without acknowledgement, there's no adjustment. And so Father, right now, help us. Help us without injury, without accusation, without condemnation to recognize we have sin in our lives that we need to come to you because we have chosen whatever sin it might be and repent, change our thinking and change our action, confessing our sin to you and knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Father, today as we receive that forgiveness and that cleansing, help us to offer forgiveness and cleansing to those that we have held in unforgiveness. Father, we're so grateful that no one else can control our forgiveness except for us and you. And you freely and fully forgive, but we need to freely and fully forgive to receive it. Father, help us to recognize it's not saying that what was done was okay because it wasn't. If it was sin, it was sin. But Father, help us to realize we're not the judge. We don't have to judge. But we do have to love. 
And we thank you today that, Father, we can keep these accounts of what people have done or not done to us, that have hurt us or, or injured us or irritated us. Father, we can turn them over to you, knowing that you have a good plan for those individuals, and we can believe for them to turn to you and trust in you. But Father, we can turn and trust and entrust in you all of these things. Father, we're so grateful that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace to help in time of need and find first mercy. If it wasn't for the mercy, we could go no further. But we find mercy and grace to help. Father, help us to be merciful and gracious with all those around us. And right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never come to Christ and, and recognized you needed a Savior, that just as all of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to recognize that he died for our sins, repent and turn away from running our own life and turn our life over to him and receive that forgiveness. you've never done that, I want to pray with you this morning, whether you're here in person or online. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray together. So if you would just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross and paid the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, I've sinned. And I come to you in need of a Savior. I repent and turn my life over to you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen, amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, let somebody know before you leave. If you're online, let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org. Go down to where it says prayer requests. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Now, for, for the rest of us, you've got a week ahead of you. God's got a plan for that week. But don't be ignorant. The enemy does, too. You choose whose plan you follow. And know that it's not without trip-ups. But when we trip up, we can get back up and we can be forgiven and cleansed, which we all need. And if we need that, we need to show that. Amen? Would you stand up? Before I dismiss completely in prayer, Pastor Jeremy is going to come and share a quick announcement with you. So please, before you head out, 
even though it may look sunny and beautiful out, it's not going to be a bad idea to just check those things that are out of our circumstances that we don't have control over. So please just check before you head out. All right? We don't want anybody to be out there and then there's something going on. All right? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Um, just a little background. They've closed the, the waterfront at various times for various reasons, and we don't know when that's going to happen, so we want to be able to keep everybody on the same page. So we'll do our part. You do your part. Be believing that we'll be out there on Wednesday. Amen. And it's going to be a great time. Uh, and whether it's raining or not, it's just if there's any lightning, we won't be doing it. But uh, God is going to show up, and he's going to do miraculous awesome, wonderful things in the lives of these people that are choosing to be obedient to God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of your, your children here and those that are joining us online. There's no time or distance in the Spirit. And Father, I thank you for your presence with each one of us. I thank you for your plan that's, that's always for good. I thank you for your love that never fails and never ends towards us. And your faith in us. Father, you don't see us as we were or as people think of us. You see us as who you created us to be. Which is beyond anything anyone but you can imagine. Because it's so awesome and amazing and good. But Father, help us to walk this out every day with you, growing in your grace and in your knowledge, walking in your love and your truth, and showing that Christ really does live in us, who is the hope of glory. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you that are going to the class today, in 10 minutes, we're going to meet right up here in the first two rows. The rest of you have a great week.